Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio show, Conversations on New Jersey Education a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, and a conversation that brings the state leaders and educational leaders to you, and I hope that you feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Before I get started, however, I'd like to have Christy tell you how to participate. Uh, hello. Now, if you'd like to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. Again, it's one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. If you'd like to make a comment or ask a question, just press one on your telephone. That will indicate to us that you have something to say. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we will put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We will be monitoring the chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments and questions to our speakers. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. Just this week, it seems that the state legislature has moved forward on uh, reforming teacher tenure in New Jersey, something that I was not sure I would ever see anytime soon. But one of the keys as we move forward in uh, tenure reform is how we evaluate our school teachers and other staff members in our schools. The commissioner and the governor have been big proponents of uh, connecting teacher evaluations more closely to uh, student achievement. Some say that this is a near impossible goal, while others say, while it's difficult, it is what education is all about. Besides, the way we, uh, on average, evaluate our teachers today and at the present time can be definitely improved upon. And moving to a system that evaluates teachers at least 50% on student achievement in New Jersey, New Jersey has set up some pilot school districts. And I think their experience will be a great lesson for all the other school districts in the state, as well as for the Department of Education. We're fortunate, very fortunate today, to have two superintendents from uh, those pilot school districts, and there are different school districts in different parts of the state. First, we have Dr. Matthew Jennings, the superintendent of Alexandria School District in Hunterdon County. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you. Great to, uh, uh, great to be on with you. Great. Uh, and also, we have Dr. Michael Kuchar, superintendent from the Bergenki- Bergenfield School District in Bergen County. Welcome, Mike. Good, uh, good morning, Ray. Good morning, Matt. Great to have both of you on. <laughs> Before we start, um, let's tell us a little bit about uh, your district. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about Alexandria, the size, and and everything else. Well, Alexandria is a K-8 school district. Uh, we're in Hunterdon County. We send our students to the Delaware Valley Regional High School. We have approximately 600 students in our pre-K uh, through 8 program. We uh, are DFG uh, of uh, GH, uh, so you know, fairly affluent, um, uh, a, a primarily um, middle-class uh, community. And why did you uh, join? Uh, decide to become a pilot district? You know, we talked about this when we first uh, had seen what had come out of the Educator Effectiveness Task Force report, and one of the things that we had realized very early on was that this was going to come anyway. And so we knew it was coming down the line. So there were really two reasons that that um, sparked us. Number one was if this was going to be required eventually, we really wanted to make sure that we could get in on the funding for it, um, because as we all know, with the two percent budget cap, you know, additional mandates are, really become push and, and press upon um, the budget. And so we wanted to make sure that if this was going to be a requirement, that we were in on the initial funding so that we could meet the requirements with the funds. Uh, given to us. And the second one was we think we're doing some very good things here in Alexandria in this area, and we wanted to make sure that our voices were heard and that we had a seat at the table to at least be able to express our opinions and to share our experiences. Oh, all right. Uh, Mike, how about in Bergenfield? Tell us a little bit about the district. Uh, Bergenfield is a K-12 district, northern uh, New Jersey, Bergen County, uh, just under 4,000 students, five elementary schools, a middle school, and a high school, uh, where we have all schools are Title I schools. Approximately 40% of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Uh, We decided to uh, go for the pilot because we've been doing this work for the past three years. 
was part of the New Jersey Panasonic Superintendent Network, and by being part of that organization, we've been exposed to the instructional rounds uh, for observation and also 5D assessment through the University of Washington, where it's a research-based assessment on how uh, you evaluate your teachers, and it's normed nationally. So not only did I take that, we had all the Bergenfield uh, administrators take that, and we were going through training on how to be better evaluators to better support our teachers. So when the EE4NJ grant came out, this was just an extension uh, and a way of getting funding for work we were already doing. So it seems to me, that if I'm hearing both of you correctly, both were starting down this path anyway. Uh, and if you're going to start down the path and you can get extra funding, why not? Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Uh, at least for me for sure. <laughs> well, it actually, it proves that this is this the new way of valuing teachers is not was not new to you. It may have been new to some people in New Jersey, but you were already thinking about some of these things already. So... <laughs> Mike, were you going to say something? Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of uh, information out there on teacher evaluations, and I'm not talking about the legislative part of it, but how to make teachers better, how to support teachers, and uh, there's the phenomena called the widget effect, where uh, there's a tendency to evaluate high and uh, to give uh, very uh, superlative evaluations, and the reality is are we doing our educators a disservice by not having honest, difficult conversations based on data and evidence to truly support them to grow uh, in, in their vocation as a teacher? So, uh, well, Matt, you can uh, chime in on this. Is the, the traditional way that we've been doing teacher evaluations, and most, and Mike kind of alluded to it that a lot of times uh, this is. You you find that almost everyone's a great teacher, at least through the evaluation process. Maybe not through the classroom experience, but um, do did we need to change this with or without uh, a new commissioner? Well, I think we needed these changes, and, and I'll tell you, my primary reason has to do with it was almost exclusively a, a focus on teacher process, and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of different ways for teachers to be effective, but unless we were to really focus on the end results, which to me would be our students' achievement, you know, I think that any type of evaluation of a teacher's performance needs to somehow account for how much the students have actually learned over the course of a year. So in my mind, um, the, the traditional way was overly emphasizing um, the process teachers were using, but was pretty much ignoring the results that they were getting. And so I thought that that was a, an absolutely move in the right direction of course, I have my share of concerns about, um, you know, what assessment tools we use and how are we going to measure student growth and how are we going to do that in a, in a variety of areas. I think it raises a lot of questions, but I do think that it is a step in the right direction. Now, Mike, I, I want to just uh, support Ray, uh, Matthew's comment, uh, Ray. Uh, I, I really believe that that's at the crux of the issue in terms of supporting teachers, and that is is evidence-based. So it is a move away from the process and the pedagogy of the teaching, because no matter what the teacher does, are the students learning? And to give a great example of that and tie it to supporting teachers is uh, evaluating a lesson on language arts writing. So instead of focusing on the teacher and the delivery of instruction, focus on the evidence. Look at the writing of the students. Look at the writing folders. Are there anchor papers? What's the progress during the year? Do they have ability to write for audience, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And then, are we supporting those teachers with writer's workshop, with the development of, of what good writing is and how to assess? So I think that it goes hand-in-hand, hand, the evidence base of learning tied with strong professional development. Now, uh, some of the... Uh, concerns that people have, and Mike, you kind of alluded to looking at the assessment. We don't have a lot of statewide assessments for our, all our classes. So, how do you assess these teachers? Uh, and not assess teachers, 
assess student achievement in a lot of classes where we don't have either state standardized tests. Do, does the district take up that assessment? Uh, Mike, we, um, you want to go first on that? Or Matt? Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, Matt, why don't you go? Yeah, we – well, in Alexandria, see, this was we, – we were very fortunate because um, we didn't know at the time, but when we did a major curriculum revision several years ago, one of the concepts we had was we wanted to tie the revision of our curriculum to the assessment process. So K to 8, every subject area, um, every grade level, our goal was to build a pre-, mid-year, end-of-year assessment. And the end-of-year assessment and the pre- and the mid were all tied to end-of-course outcomes. So trying to identify what students had to know, uh, what were the essential outcomes at each grade level, each subject area. I mean, we're talking about dance, Chinese, theater. It didn't matter. We wanted to know what kind of growth students were showing over the course of a year. So we were fortunate enough to have already in process uh, be building that type of a program. And so for us, this was not as difficult, perhaps, as some other districts because we were well down that road already. But what I will say needs to be thought through, and I'm not so sure that it has been carefully considered, is the basic assessment literacy skills and the data analysis skills that teachers um, possess. I mean, we assume that teachers have a high level of knowledge and skill in assessing student learning using that, um, that knowledge to then make instructional decisions. And in my experience, that's not the case. Um, many teachers weren't properly prepared in their coursework. Um, you know, they're using methods perhaps that were used with them. And so what we've ended up with is a need to really provide high-quality professional development to teachers in the area of designing assessments, using assessment results for instructional planning. And so we have spent, I can tell you, We've had multiple professional days um, where myself and my curriculum supervisor have trained our entire staff in that very area, and I caution people moving forward in this initiative that that's something that is really a prerequisite to making this work. Uh, Mike, I'm going to ask you to follow up uh, just before I do. Uh, to anyone who's listening, if you want to call in with a question, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press one to let us know that you have a comment or a question. Uh, Mike. Did uh, Bergenfield go through the same process where you had to change <laughs> your assessment in your classes and tied it uh, in, to your curriculum? Before, well, again, we, we became a pilot district. Uh, well, again, a number of years ago, we made the move to uh, benchmark formative standardized assessment of NWEA and Renaissance learning. And we've trained the teachers and staff how to utilize uh, these tests three times a year pr- that are correlated to New Jersey ASK and the state standards. And so they've been using uh, standardized testing to help measure student uh, growth and also to help fine-tune and differentiate learning. And it really transformed the way we delivered instruction because we had uh, basic skills became more of a push-in as well as ESL and special education. And uh, we've seen a a great deal of increase in our student achievement uh, levels. So we've been faithful to the benchmark testing, and I also want to say that we all need to be ready for this because in 2014, PARC uh, assessment will be in place. Mm-hmm. So this is just a preview of what's coming down the line. Uh, I guess, Matt, uh, first, <coughs> excuse me, uh, would you, um, if, if a district now not, not, obviously, it's not a pilot district. What should they be doing now to prepare for this? Uh, what would be like what, one of your first steps? Would it be your curriculum and assessment or training or what? You know, I, I think, well, every district is going to be different, but there right. are some prerequisites to really making this work. I think you do need to make sure that your curriculum is updated to the point where you really have a guaranteed viable curriculum, um, something that the teachers can actually deliver and do deliver. So you need that. You need a strong instructional model. You need, uh, you absolutely need supervisors who understand what high-quality instruction looks like in multiple contexts. Um, I think that you need to really also think about this 
as one part of your overall personnel process. See, I think we're emphasizing evaluation, and one of the things about that is evaluation is what comes at the very end of the process. And so we need to think about this more in terms of a holistic change to a personnel or a human resource system. Things, for example, like if you're going to change your evaluation model, well, you better think about how does your job description match up to that? How do your recruiting practices and your interview questions, your training programs, how do they all align so you can create a coherent system? I think that you know we really need to think all of those things through so that what we're not doing is just trying to layer evaluation on and then have a system that's completely misaligned. Uh, Mike, would you add anything to that? Uh, yeah, I, I think that, started I think that uh, coming uh, 2013, uh, we all need to be aligned with the national core content standards. So uh, as Matt talked about curriculum revision, having our uh, curriculum in line with the national core standards should be ongoing immediately, and if districts aren't doing that, I'd encourage them to really take a serious look about aligning uh, curriculum to those national standards. And uh, again, the uh, PAWC uh, assessment will be in place by the fall of 2014, so we have a lot of work to do as a school district with a very small uh, time frame. Um, Mike? You both alluded to training your uh, staff. Let's look at the, the administrators. Who needs? Do you train the administrators first? Uh, your your principals, your vice principals, or whoever uh, supervisors who does the evaluate <coughs> evaluations. Well, what we've done is is we took a little novel approach here. Uh, while prior to EE4NJ, we were training the all administrators on the instructional round model. Uh, we now, this year with EE4NJ, we've trained 30 teachers as well as over 25 administrators in the process. So we've been doing this collaboratively, and our teachers have been turnkey trainers. So we have the 30 teachers going back to the their individual schools with the administrator and then getting input so we believe in the term voice and choice, giving our teachers voice and choice into developing the model and the application of it under the Danielson framework rubrics. Okay, you're using Danielson. Uh, Matt, what, were, what uh, system are you using? We're using the strong evaluation system. Okay, uh, so we have two different systems that both are using. <coughs> um, Matt, would you... Uh, did you have to do any intensive training for your principals or uh, yeah, in we, this process? Uh, absolutely. We early on, uh, I would say almost the beginning of September, once we were notified of the grant, um, we did the three days of intensive training with our administrative team uh, to make sure that we understood the system, that we understood the standards of the system, uh, that we understood the process. So all of our intensive training was done up front with our administrative team but then it was also distributed throughout the year. We've had constant contact with Dr. Strong and his associates. In fact, uh, Dr. Strong came here um, not only to work with our administrators to do some observations. He, What he did was he did an observation at the same time as our administrator did, and then they were able to sit down and compare notes, and then he debriefed with all of us at the end of the day um, as to whether we were on target with things, what we may need to do differently. He also came back and helped us to do all of our um, non-tenured teacher summatives so that we made sure that we were all on the same page with that as well. So it's not just an upfront training. It's also that distributed training that has to occur over time. Um, okay, I'm listening to that. We have to improve our curriculum and our assessment. Uh, in each class at Measure Student Learning, we have increased training. Is there an increased cost with this? to a district. Oh, it, oh well, yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, you know, there, there's um, a cost, certainly a cost with regards to the training, um, and everybody will be in a different place with regards to the curriculum writing and how they're going to do it, what their contract calls for, um, the development of the assessments, how they're going to do that. There is going to probably be substitute costs involved with the training uh, or release time for curriculum writing, development of assessments. But then there's also the 
um, the time issue. And one of the more pressing things that we've seen has been this increase uh, in the workload for administrative staff. And while you can't quantify it in terms of dollars, you know, something had to give in order to do this effectively. You know, we had a lot of competing demands with the introduction of new requirements for bullying. We've had more observations with a new process. So I would say that that increase in workload, while not directly um, a financial implication, certainly is an implication with regards to um, where time is spent, how time is spent, um, and, and the costs associated with that. Mike, did you have to make the same priority for your administrators that they, they're going to spend more time on uh, – and now you started before bullying, but did you have to make – if this is more of a priority, then something else has to shift? Uh, I, I, absolutely. What what we've done is is this has become our number one board and district priority for the past three years. Uh, we know that the the most decisive element of student achievement that we have is the individual teacher, and so we have to do everything possible to make sure our teachers are well trained and supported, so our students can learn at the, the highest levels. And as we started collecting data and evidence, it's become very clear uh, issues and trends that we need to address to help our teachers. And some of them are design flaws from within our system. Some of them are outside in uh, teacher preparation programs in higher ed. A great example is, is we look at the the data trends of students over time in mathematics and maybe elementary school, we'll notice that some teachers, we see incredible results. And we, we do analysis of it and see others that don't have those type of results. And we find out that many elementary school teachers have one math class in pedagogy of math teaching and not the content. And these teachers in fifth grade, um, again, have one class in math pedagogy, no content, yet in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, you need to be highly qualified. There's a big disconnect there. So we had to give our teachers a lot of math content training because they, they were great teachers, but they didn't have the, the content that was necessary uh, for high-level math. Um Matt, Mike brings up a good point, and particularly for the elementary school, where you're teaching all the subjects. Um, what happens if you're very good at teaching the social studies and the sciences, but you're less strong in English or math? Is there a way that you can measure that and maybe improve the teacher in those other areas? Well, I think that one of the problems you're going to run into here is if they're very good in science and social studies, but they happen to be in fourth or fifth grade, Mm -hmm. then really what they're going to be measured against are those student growth percentiles from the New Jersey ASK. So you could have a teacher who could be very effective in some aspects of their job performance, but according to the measures being used, they're going to be told that they're ineffective. Um, so I think that, yes, it is a training issue. It is an issue of constantly helping our teachers to get the highest quality professional development to continue uh, to grow, to learn, but it's also a matter of using the right measurement tools. I mean, you know, what, in my mind, you know, I understand the political aspect and in some ways, some ways, the instructional uh, requirements necessary for using the standardized testing. But my preference is to know with curriculum-based measurement that's tied to our local curriculum because what I want to know is how much have the students grown over time with that teacher in that subject area according to what we expected our students to know. And so I think there's a difference when it comes to the standardized versus the um, locally developed. And, of okay. course, you know, there's a trade-off there, too. All right. Uh, Mike, in a high school, say you have a teacher, and I, I can speak of this as a parent, um, uh, my two kids have the same teacher but at different levels in chemistry, and one she was much better in one level than the other level. Does this help with teacher placement? That maybe, oh, this teacher's great at AP, but not so good in, in the other levels. I, I think that 
one point I'd like to um, bring back up is standard-based report cards. Okay. Um, what, what concerns me more is the discrepancy of grades between two teachers at the same level in the same school uh, and different uh, approaches to grading. And when we go to a standard-based report card, that supplements the standardized testing, which I agree should only be one of the components we measure growth against. The other should be is how has this student grown in terms of the standards that are set in the curriculum as they are tied to the National Common Core Standards? Um, you know, we're talking about this system. Matt, was it a beneficial, was it a better system than what you had in there previous? I would say that, yes, our our system is better than it was. It's not perfect. Um, we certainly have learned a lot of lessons along the way, um, and we hope to be able to share those so that it will benefit others. But I do believe uh, that the effort has resulted in a system where we're making better personnel decisions, we're more closely targeting our professional development where it's needed, and I think we're giving our teachers better feedback, higher quality feedback on their performance than we have in the past. Um, Mike, would you con con agree with that? Uh, I'll say in Bergenfield, I can I can say that my administrative staff, based on uh, research we've done on our own scoring, uh, we've done a double-blind uh, scoring of our new assessment practice, and we we have great reliability, and our year-to-year -year comparison on the 5D assessment prior to EE, 4, and J, and now as we completed the year has shown significant growth. I know that our administrators have gotten much more proficient at evaluating teachers. In execution, we still have a long way to go because we have to change the culture of niceness and create a collaborative culture of discourse where we can have the honest conversations on how to improve uh, individual teachers, individual schools, and individual uh, districts based on honest feedback. Um, you talked about changing the culture, and we talked about earlier that in most of the teacher evaluation models, uh, traditional that a lot of schools go through, you might see a teacher once if they have tenure during the course of the year, and they, oh, I think it's like 95% of them get an excellent rating. And, and now we're changing this where, to a system where there's going to be a dialogue between the administration and the teacher, and maybe you're still a very good teacher, but you need to improve in a certain area. Um, how does those conversations go. I think that, you know, Mike kind of alluded to it. Is that a tough conversation for the, administra the administrators and the teachers, particularly in the beginning? I, Ray, I'm going to say if for 20 years we've been telling a teacher they're wonderful and perfect, and now all of a sudden, five months later, we're going to say, well, you can grow in this area. That is a huge uh, paradigm shift. I, as a professional, would like to think I'm a great superintendent. Realistically, there are many areas I need to grow and develop. And, and we have a board of education and evaluation process that I look for the honest feedback and dialogue of how I can keep improving and growing as a professional. And that's the expectation the board has, I have, of every employee of the district. And that goes beyond our teaching staff. Everybody who works here the goal is how can we get better matt what about you what about those conversations is that tough for it's a mindset now, changed for the administrators yeah. too i would suspect well sure i mean if you think about the role of a building principal i mean they are reliant upon the adults in their building that they supervise to be cooperative and to do you know a lot of the work that actually gets done so for them to begin to, you know, to rock the boat and go against the norms, which have been established as, you know, like, uh, you know, had been said, that they are very good at what they do, can be a challenge and it can be um, dangerous professionally with regards to how you're viewed and the level of cooperation from your staff. But what I will tell you is probably 
underlying a lot of this. Um, I, I think that the anxiety and the frustration and the tension that a lot of our staff hold is from things related to this that are kind of like the underlying currents. Trust is a major issue with this because I think there's always been concern from our staff regarding ulterior motives. You know, why are you really doing this? We get it um, that we're changing the evaluation process. We understand you want to move us towards a continuous improvement model where we can always get better. But why is the real reason? And, and when you look at the headlines and you look at the things that are occurring in the state, things to do with performance pay or changes to tenure, you can understand where that anxiety would rise up. So there's a contextual issue, not just a school-based norms issue, but also a larger political issue here of what's occurring in our state. And now that's influencing the conversation and the emotions um, surrounding that conversation. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Matt, Dr. Matt Jennings, uh, Superintendent Alexandria School District, and Dr. Michael Kuchar uh, from the Bergen's. Bergenfield School District in Bergen County about teacher evaluations. They're superintendents uh, of pile districts. If you have a question for them, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four. Mike, Matt really did mention the underlying current, and I've had conversations with teachers, and it, it is almost a bigger picture. They feel one teacher came up to me and said, and the other teacher was about near retirement. Said he almost has everything that he needs. The job that I signed up for is not there anymore. My pension, I have to contribute more. I have to contribute more for my uh, health care. Uh, the settlements are much lower. Now you're evaluating me. Are you trying to catch me? Uh, there's like a lack of a trust of why these are coming down. How does an administration take that environment and build the trust? Is that hard? You're also talking to superintendents who are under a salary cap, and many of us are uh, having pay greatly reduced. So we understand the economic climate and context we're working in, and we're the ones who were hit first uh, with the changes because it did not need legislative approval. That was done uh, by a regulation. So... We understand it, and we know it, but it goes beyond the state of New Jersey, and it goes beyond the national trend. New Jersey was not the first to come up with teacher evaluation. We were the 27th state to come up with it. So we see this as part of a national movement, but again, we were looking at it in our perspective of Bergenfield of how can we be better and part of it was that we need to help teachers and we need to capitalize on the resources we've been finding through the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. The one math teacher who's had 90% advanced proficient over the years has become a math coach half time and is now training teachers. Another teacher that has been so good with the smart boards has been working as a technology coach, pushing in, developing lessons, job embedded coaching with the teachers. So this has been asset building as well. And so we've been very pleased with the process, but we know we have a long way to go. And we also have been involving our teachers each step of the way because it is a very delicate, tumultuous climate that we're working in. Uh, Matt, um, Mike uh, mentioned some of his the benefits that he saw. Uh, now, he's been doing this a little bit longer than you have. Uh, were there any benefits that really jumped out to you like pretty quickly that you took advantage of that maybe even surprised you? Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by the question, Ray. Uh, do you mean – Well, he talked about a teacher that they took that they saw when they saw it was improving in math scores across the board. They used right. that teacher to train other teachers. Yeah. All right. I, I would say this. I'd say that the training that we have done, one of the things that we can walk away from this so far with is that the standards that we have now that have been set, there is a much more uh, clear, understood, commonly shared idea of what we mean by good teaching in our school district. I think that the process we use is is we're talking the same language, whereas we may not have been before. And so the process has led us to a place where we have a much 
more commonly uh, held, um, understood idea of what effective teaching in Alexandria Township means. Uh, what was the hardest adjustment for uh, for you, Matt? And, you know, where do you in this whole process for the, for either you or the district? Well, I, I think I mentioned a few of them. You know, one was the increase in workload for the administrative staff, but another one I, I would say I thought we were so excited when we received the grant. Um, some of us were sitting around. We had gotten notification. We were extremely pleased, and, and we felt you know, very, very good about it. And then when I realized that we were pretty much alone in our feeling in the sense that most of our staff, even though we had shared with them why we were applying and we had our association on board, most of the people in the school district really didn't understand or embrace the, uh, the urgency for change in evaluation. There was little incentive, little buy-in for the change. And when we're talking about a major change initiative, something like a change in how you evaluate teacher practice and performance, you need to establish some sense of urgency that says, this is important, we need to address it, we all need to work hard and put forth the effort, because without that, you know, it's very hard to make this change happen. And so I think the biggest surprise for me in retrospect was our need to really establish what about our current system was not working and why it was important for all of us to get on board with the idea of making the change. We assumed that that was a commonly shared, commonly held view, and we were wrong. And so we had to go back, spend a great deal of time um, talking with teachers, talking with uh, all of our staff, talking in the community about why we felt we needed to make this change and why we this was not something that was a got you. This was something saying, our teachers are our most important thing when it comes to improving student achievement, and we need to ensure that we're giving them good feedback and helping them to grow, but we also do need to make sure we're making high-quality personnel decisions uh, so that we can go back to the community and say, you know, we have the best-quality teachers, you know, in the classrooms with your kids. Uh, you know, you both said it, and you brought up a couple of good points there. Uh, uh but I meant to ask this as a follow-up question before. What did you ask your administrators to give up? What were some of the things that, you know, when you saw that they were spending a lot more time doing this, where, where did they spend less time, or did it depend on the administrator? Well, it did. I will tell you that it's funny. I I had the conversation with them very early on. I mean, one of the first conversations after we kind of settled in and said, okay, now we're part of the grant program. So we sat around the table, and I asked the question because – they wouldn't have volunteered this information. The question I asked them was, okay, in order to do this well, what do we have to stop doing? And they kind of looked at me with a stunned expression because I don't think that had ever been asked before. But I know that my administrators were working as hard as they possibly could. I couldn't just add something else to this and expect it to become something that would be well done. What we came up with was a list of commonly held uh, things that we could begin to stop doing. There were a lot of different administrative reports that were being produced, some of which, you know, really, they weren't of, of a great deal of value. I mean, I enjoyed reading them. I felt that they kept me informed, but they weren't improving our school district. Mm -hmm. There were meetings that we were running where we were meeting weekly as an administrative team. And, you know, that, that hour, hour and a half of time was taking away an hour, an hour and a half from something else they could be doing. So those are two examples of things that we commonly uh, agreed upon and said, okay, we're going to stop this. But they, they then sat with each of them and talked about what they could delegate, what they could stop doing, wasn't really essential anymore. Uh, but no matter what, to just layer this on top of everything else we're asking them to do will not work. So that's a conversation that needs to be held. Mike, did you have to have a similar conversation a couple of years ago when you uh, started down this path? Well, let, let me first say, um, Matt, I'm not ready to give up my weekly administrative uh, <laughs> cabinet meeting, uh, although you you would be very popular here in Bergenfield if, if you convinced me to give that one up. But uh, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that things had to shift. 
so what we did was we refocused. We went back to the basics. And what's the basics is what what was the real term for principal? It was principal teacher, lead teacher. Coalition of Essential Schools, uh, Debbie Meyer, Ted Sizer, they recommend that every administrator do not lose contact with the classroom. Every principal should teach at least one class uh, and, and, and stay connected to it. So we more or less refocused and put our priority to our big priority as administrators is instructional leadership, and that became the focus. The other things, which consumed a lot of time, whether it be discipline or uh, the social issues, we hired more counselors and we hired uh, security, retired police to work throughout the buildings on an hourly wage, and we were able to free up a significant amount of time so that our principals, our administrators could focus on the essential instructional leadership. Um, and I guess the, the board approved all those additional hirings, and that was part of the discussion when you move forward on this? The board has been so supportive. They have been visionaries in moving this district into a high-performing district uh, over a relatively short amount of time through strategic planning, implementing the Baldridge model uh, strategic plan, and putting the priority on student learning in the classroom. So my Board of Education, I believe, has been visionary when it comes to uh, teacher evaluation. Matt, how was your board's first reaction when you uh, probably approached them with this idea? Their concern was that we had so many other initiatives going and so many things that were moving in a positive direction. They really were concerned about us taking this on more because they felt that it, it may pull us away from some of the other good things we were doing at the mm -hmm. time. So it almost took some convincing to say, no, we will find a way to do this and handle that and do it both well. So the board, it was interesting to me, was they were more concerned that we were going to overwhelm ourselves than the opposite. And so, you know, they have been extremely supportive throughout the process. An area that I, I hope that board members who are listening will um, heed is the critical importance of supporting the administration when they do have to have those difficult conversations with teachers who then want to turn around and perhaps, um, you know, who are unhappy with being told that they need to improve in a certain area and begin to seek out ways to try to invalidate that. And, you know, if it eventually ends up anywhere near the board, to support the administrator so that the administrator knows they have the ability to have those difficult conversations and ultimately uh, the ability to, con you know, to promote a continuous improvement concept throughout the district where people are striving to get better all the time. Uh, probably a point, of, uh, maybe I, I, I heard this right from both of you. It looks like your communication skills as a, a superintendent are really needed uh, to communicate to the the board, the the staff, and your administrators to keep because there's a lot of agita about a lot of this. So was that to your f colleagues who are superintendents as they move forward on this that you can't over communicate to the staff and the administrators on this? Well, I would say you need to be transparent and you need to be credible. I mean, mm -hmm. the transparency piece. You just need to be very open, very upfront about what you're doing, why you're doing it. And it needs to be genuine. And your words and your actions have to match. Because if you're not transparent and credible, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to become rumor. There's a lot of things that are going to fill in the gaps. So, you know, you need to communicate as frequently as you can. But it's the quality of the communication more than the quantity. I mean, and multiple formats of communication, of course. But the message has got to be genuine. So for me, it was very easy. I mean, I was telling people exactly what I believed. And so there was no issue with having to, to you know, try to sugarcoat anything or give a message different. It, I believe that our teachers are our most important asset with regards to improving student achievement. I believe they deserve high-quality feedback. I believe that our job is to help them to continue to grow and that we always, always can all get better in what we do and that, you know, that, that is a, a process that will occur throughout our entire professional career. And so 
knowing your message, being able to communicate it credibly and clearly, um, as long as it is genuinely how you feel, is something um, that you just need to really be able to do in order to get people to buy in. Uh, Mike, what about you? The communication skills for a superintendent in this area. Well, for us and as well as the other nine pilot districts, it was critical, and it was critical that we had built up trust because we were going into an area of the unknown. And again, as you pointed out, Ray, in a context of hostility or perceived hostility against educators. So it took a great deal of trust, uh, trust of the staff in leadership, uh, trust of the staff in the Board of Education, in the superintendent, and having built that over a number of years, uh, worked together on this. Um, so I think that developing that trust was crucial and critical. As other districts move forward, it's no longer a choice. It's a mandate. So that makes it a lot easier, but it doesn't take away the heavy lifting that we all have to do in implementing an instrument, a tool that ultimately should make us all better. Okay. Uh, so, uh you know, Matt, you brought up you have to be credible, you have to believe in it, and Mike just brought up, well, we're going to have to do it now because the state's telling us to do it. So uh, do they almost work at odds in that at least the two of you believed in this from right from the beginning. Now, if the superintendent doesn't believe in it, they have to – I don't want to say why, but they have to They have to believe in it, right? Well, they have to do it. Okay. I mean, you know, there's a difference between the compliance level and the commitment. I mean, if people are going to comply with the mandate – Will they truly, you know, commit to it and give their heart and soul to it? You know, that's going to be something that they're going to have to believe in, and you know, this as something that's truly important. Okay. Um, and finally, um, I have a, just a couple more questions. Um, you know, a lot of the teachers that I've heard also talked to felt this is a way to get rid of them. Is it? Um, or at least to criticize the teachers. How do you alleviate that fear? Because, um, well, what's what what's in it for us to criticize anybody? That that's negative. We want to build people up, not tear them down. In terms of, I don't agree that this is to get rid of horrible teachers. I think that if we look percentage-wise of horrible, horrific teachers, it's probably less than 1% of the population. The issue is, is how do we deal with the great, great, vast majority of mediocrity? Or how do we move, like we want students to move on a growth continuum, how do we move teachers on a growth continuum? We have students that are very high achieving. Do we say, okay, slow up, you're ahead of everybody else? Or do we want them to go one, two, three, four, five grade levels ahead? We want to move everybody on a continuum of growth including all our teachers, and we want to deal with that wide range of mediocrity and make sure everybody is great. Uh, we have a caller with a question. Mike, you ha have a question or a request? Yeah, hi, Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, I just had a question if you'd be interested in coming out uh, to visit a school district um, to kind of share some of your experiences, not only with the pilot, but um, we're very interested to learn more about, um, you know, your use of, of, of student data through these assessments and, and uh, you know, kind of maybe get some ideas from you. Uh, Mike, if you look on our bergenfield.org website, we have PowerPoints that we've been uh, presenting. Uh, the latest is from NJASA. I'll be out at the end of the month in Minnesota at the National uh, Department of Education uh, Conference being presenting on short cycle assessment, the formative assessment. So we'll have that PowerPoint posted as well. Uh, 
right now in rail, no. Uh, my time personally has been spread real thin uh, with the request for uh, sharing what we're doing, but we have our assistant and project director, Frank Oriema. Uh, his email is on the website. Feel free to contact any of them, and uh, we'll share everything and anything we have uh, and, and wish you and your district all the best. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. All right. Um, and uh, Matt, I think that you told me that as a pilot issue, that was one of the surprises that you had, is that the request for programs like this and, and other people wanting to talk to you, was that uh, something that was a surprise to you? Actually, we, we didn't anticipate that, and it did surprise us quite a bit. Um, get Hello? Hello? Oh, I think we lost Matt. I don't see him anymore. <laughs> well, I do know I heard Matt talk uh, before, and he did say he was actually surprised at the request that, Mike, that you were also getting from right. uh, the program. Because uh, there are right. a lot of people that really want to know how to move forward in this area. And I think they're and not just because the state is saying that you have to do it. I think they're doing it more out of genuine concern. Well, uh, again, on the New Jersey Department of Education website under EE4NJ is a resource document repository. Every district that has EE4NJ, we have our own resources to share. So uh, in terms of cyberspace, there's a lot of information out there, and uh, certainly you're right. Uh, there are a lot of districts, and they're they're looking for help and direction, and uh, it, it's a demand we didn't expect, and we're trying to do all our best to be good colleagues, uh, but but it has been an unexpected uh, surprise. Um, well, that's bringing us towards the end of the show. I'd like to thank both uh, Dr. Matt Jennings, who uh, I. I'm not sure how we lost him, but we did. But uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, and Mike, I'd like to thank Dr. Michael Kuchar. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Ray. Uh, and if uh, to our listeners, if you have any other concerns or questions about the program, just email me at rpinney at njsba.org. And I hope you enjoyed today's show, and thank you. <laughs>